welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing uh, a webinar that Greg did this week as we're recording, but um, maybe some time ago by the time this episode goes live. But it's a, it was a, a webinar about benchmarking. Yeah, and I think the strap line to, to it really gave me the beginnings to get going. How can it be done um, reliably? Because mm. benchmark, it's one of those things. It really is one of those topics where used well, it's really good. Not used well... I think it can be dangerous sometimes, Stephen. I really think it can. Yeah, I really liked, sort of at an early stage in the webinar, you brought up this definition, um, I think it was from a Collins Dictionary, about you know what, what is benchmarking. Right, yeah. And like, my heart always sinks a little bit when in the presentation where the dictionary definition comes up. Yeah, it, it is a standard, old. you know. <laughs> actually, it was, a, it was a really good definition. <laughs> I think it, it brought up those two, two ideas that you, you brought out, which is, you know, it's about looking within your field and we could debate and as you as you sort of elaborated on what what we mean by field and the fact that you're doing benchmarking in order to improve performance which are the two key things about it that get missed all the time they sort of sound obvious and yet with my cynical hat on my view of benchmarking is that it tends to be organizations looking for a league table that they're three quarters of the way up absolutely agree yeah and that's the very opposite of this, isn't it? They're, they're not looking to improve. They're looking to find excuses or, or reasons that they don't need to improve, really. And they're looking to define the field such that they end up three quarters away up the league table. Well, we're good and better than average, but we can always do better. Yeah. I mean, we're perhaps leaping ahead a little bit here, but it's always seemed to me that probably the most important purpose of benchmarking is to motivate change. And so step one is motivate change. Step two is show me how to change. So those are the two things you ideally want from benchmarking. The second one is much harder, but the first one, mm. all you need to do is find a league table that you're, you know, a third of the way up instead of the one that you're three quarters of the way up. Hopefully I brought out in the webinar that burning bridge of change, because I think it probably come, I mean, as with all these things, it comes back to the culture within the organisation. And I think if if people can say hold on do you know what it would appear in and if we say the field which and i, and I think that most people understand now the field is customer experience customer satisfaction me measurement you know and and you know so much more we are being determined by all our uh, customer experiences and and everyone ex really i think accepts the argument customers don't think sectorially <laughs> it's just in presentations in boardrooms <laughs> you know it's getting a bit of comfort it, 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 you know it's funny that because you're right i think people on paper or in theory would, would accept yes you know we're not being compared to other utilities or housing associations or whatever it is we are and yet and yet it keeps coming back up i think people instinctively revert to that and you can totally an understand excuse. why i feel as an excuse though well, it's I've... a bit of an excuse and it's, it's a bit the thing is the way customers benchmark isn't fair you know it, it is not fair if you're a distributor of um, ppe to construction workers it's yeah, not yeah. fair that you're being compared to amazon but you are I, I, and it's that second bit that you've made is perhaps the maturity bit in terms of uh, you know, I, I'm thinking now as you're speaking, I think the more challenges on benchmarking are probably year one, mm. you know, once people get over that, because it is customers aren't fair, but that's what you're dealing with, you know, and 
every client and even ourselves when we do our own client survey you know the phrase our customers are different comma because <laughs> is a phrase that every client has and it's true everyone's yeah. clients are different because and that's why they're dealing with you because of that because and when we do our own client survey we go yeah but ours are different because they understand how the scoring works or because they're used to numbers or because they know about net promoter score and that's not fair but that's how they are and that's yeah. the reality of what you're dealing with and i think that's part of my thing about benchmarking that i was trying to get there's a theory here mm. And there's a reality and you've got to sort of go, well, it doesn't matter who you're comparing us to. Bottom line is we want to get our score higher. If we're bottom quartile, we want to start moving up. If we're in the middle, we want to start moving up. And if you know at the top, we want to get even further up this. It's about upward movement, not necessarily about how we compare. Well, not at all about how we compare to others. And then this is the interesting thing, isn't it? Because to some degree, a customer satisfaction it is relative to expectation. You know, it is, it is controlled by expectations and those expectations are set in a slightly complex way. So sometimes it's your direct competitors who are setting them. XYZ offer this solution for this much money yeah. and that's, that's better value than yours. So I'll go yeah. there instead. That's a, it's a very logical, rational kind of value for money yeah. propositional um, question. And other times it's more of a general sense that, well, Amazon can get it to me next day and tell me when it's there. Why can't you? And it's those expectations are sometimes set by direct competitive offering within your sector, within your market from a competitor that you're aware of and, and compare yeah. yourself with. And some of those expectations are set by what businesses in, in totally different sectors are doing. And, and the, the, I suppose the point I'm trying to get to here is that I think the essence of understanding customer experience properly is that it, yes, it's about delivering against expectations, but that that is all going on inside a customer's head and where those expectations come from and where their evaluation of how you're delivering against those expectations comes from is complicated. Yeah, and all comes back to understanding, you know, the customer and what that expectation is. And I guess it's probably a mixture of those both. If, if you're a big manufacturer of some industrial products and your competitors can get things to their customers quicker than you <laughs> that's you know that's a benchmark that's going to be used uh, in which you're going to be negatively but there's probably the whole service side of it in terms of the reps the complaint handling the customer service side the communication and perhaps the expectation for that isn't being set by the competitors is being set outside the sector mm -hmm. um, so there's probably a mixture there's probably a mixture of, of you know both things going on there one of the things I'd just like to ask you about, because I thought this they were pulling together the web webinar where, you know, I say the dangers of benchmarking and making sure it's reliable and accurate and all that sort of stuff. And it's quite, you know, ironic when you think of the, uh, the, a lot of the challenges in the boardroom about who we're benchmarked. Yet by far the most popular measure in a boardroom now is a net promoter score, which is you know less reliable statistically cuts across sectors da, 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 da. and somehow this idea all that argument of who you're comparing us to and how you're doing it and mathematically is forgotten because the question is the same because <laughs> we're using the same set of words and that has so much traction in the boardroom i'm going to try not to rant about this but yeah the idea that nps 
is a common measure that you can use for a fair comparison. It is just nonsense because I mean, you bring out quite well in the webinar all of the different things that can vary. So, you know, what the sample size is, what the car, the margins of error, what was the data collection methodology? Is it anonymous or is it not anonymous? Is it transactional? Is it relationship? Where do you put the question? Where you put that question is, the, you know, and there's yeah. a whole load of other stuff which, which you didn't have time to measure. But, you yeah. know, is there a naught or is there not a naught? Is it sometimes the question is different even? So you can't even assume it's one question just because they're quoting an NPS. It's not necessarily even about recommend. Sometimes people quote an NPS and it's actually based on an overall satisfaction question. It, th there is so much variation in what goes into something that gets called NPS. And I'm not saying it, it doesn't correlate with performance because it still does, but it, it's a very noisy correlation with, with how your customers actually feel. So how do you feel about it as a benchmark if I stop you from ranting before you go any further? Well, to be honest, I... I would never trust a benchmark that is based on different organizations um, reporting their score. I don't, I don't want to pick on any in particular, but but I think any benchmarks you found by going to a website that lists, oh, here's Amazon's NPS, here's First Direct's NPS, here's da da da, that just doesn't, you don't know that you're comparing like for like, you don't know how all these organizations have done it. And some of these benchmarking services that kind of pull together scores, I know full well that organisations submitting their scores are gaming it in various ways. We'll put this demographic forward because we know this demographic tends exactly, to score yeah. we'll, we'll pick a sample that we know is going to score well. So the only way to to, to get to, to a fair benchmark is something like the UKCSI that you mentioned um, from the Institute of Customer Service. And to be fair, the ACSI as well in, in America. So it's, it's not it's, yeah. it's, you know, unique to that. But what, what the UKCSI gives you is a... Whether or not it's kind of the best measure for each individual company, what it does give you is the same measure for every single organization, every single sector with the same methodology, the same questions in the same order, asked in the same way to a, a, a sort of consistent method of sampling from each sector. So you know that it's measuring the same thing in the same way. Yeah. And I think you take a lot of comfort from that when you... When you look at the, and it's all in the public domain, at the hierarchy of the organisations in that, you're not surprised by who's at the top. They are who you would expect. The, the, you know, it's First Direct, it's John Lewis, it's Amazon. It's the people who do this well. And you're not surprised who's at the bottom or which sectors are at the bottom because they're the ones you would traditionally associate dealing with them as being very frustrating. And, and, and yeah, I think as a benchmark it is a really, really sort of good, benchmark I, I, I do wonder if there is that bit between there's a step isn't there you know it's, it's why you're doing the survey you try and get some the whole interesting information this is where we sit and then it's this actionability and that's really what i was trying to drive out in the mm -hmm. second half of, of of the webinar you know which fits back to the definition it's about using yourself to improve it is about getting your score mm -hmm. higher that's fundamentally i, I totally about. agree and i i think this obsession with getting your score three quarters of the way up a league table is, is nonsense to me. What well, what's far more interesting is okay, so as you alluded to, like what is it that makes the company who's top of this league table the top of this league table? Or probably much more usefully actually, what is it that you know, this organization who gets a really good score for deliveries, what is it they're doing to achieve that? And benchmarking used to mean this, it didn't it? It used to mean did, more yeah. kind of looking for best practice. And it, over the years it's drifted to be about the score. 
yeah. And it was very much think out of sector when benchmarking was yeah. was really in its four-day. You know, the phrase doing out of sector benchmarking. I, I, I can remember a good example that we, that, you know, the, the, that we used to quote where I think it was the McLaren the McLaren racing team, how they organized a pit stop so they could change tires within eight seconds. Some, um, I think one of the train companies was using it. I it think was Southwest how, Airlines, did, wasn't it? Was it? Was it Southwest Airlines for how quick you could turn around an aeroplane? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that would make more sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if, and they were looking at how they did it and all the systems behind that to, to do it. And it was, I remember a lot of it was the outer sector benchmarking. And I, I do think for, you know, innovation and improvement, that is one of the best ways to go still to say somewhere in the world, this problem has been solved or, or uh, by analogy, this problem has been solved. And it, it won't be a case of copying and pasting. And you know, within your sector, fine, you can just copy the way someone else does it. When you're going outside of your sector, you're trying to do something that no one else has done in your sector before. And therefore, it has to be a bit wild and wacky. You've got to look and think in, in that sort of um, thinking analogies rather than in literal, let's do it like that. It's like, well, what can we learn from the way of form? Because it sounds stupid, doesn't it? Face value, we're an airline. We want to turn around our planes quicker because that's one of the best things to make more money if you're an airline. Formula One turns around its cars really quickly. And it, at a literal level, there are so many differences, like Formula One car, pit stop, and a, like they're, they're not the same thing. And of course, they're not the same thing. But that kind of thinking by analogy is how you do innovation. So what, how do they organise themselves to do that really quickly? And what can we learn from that? Not that we can copy and paste, but that we can yeah. be inspired learn. by and apply. Not that we can copy and paste. That's, that's, that's the thing. It, it's the thought process that you're copying and thinking uh, about. And, and I sometimes think, you know, particularly in our podcasts, we often get on soapboxes and things like that. Because I think naturally we probably in our job and with our clients tend to have the luxury of thinking a little bit medium term because we're, you know, how are we you going to improve this over the time, the years, whereas the world has definitely become a much more short-term thing. One of the advantages of MPS is you can instantly, in one shot, say to someone, hey, look, with you know, we're just above average here. <laughs> we're three quarters of a league table. We're doing this okay. And a very quick conclusion. The next step takes time and effort. And, you know, how do we get this higher? And I, I, I mean, I, I do. Th I mean, I think one of the things I learned out net promoter score is it really gets traction in, you know, in the boardroom. And I think I quoted Tom Peters in terms of, you know, of saying what benchmarking does. Um, it lets you know you need to do something. It doesn't tell you what you need to do. Well, that might be you, actually. I can't believe you and Tom Peters could possibly say the same thing. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a very true quote, isn't it? You know, it tells you need to do something, but it doesn't tell you what you need to do. And, and then that depends on where you're going with your research. Do you want a score or do you want to do something differently? And that's fundamentally, I think, where it ends up at. My issue with NPS, and I've, you know, over the years, I've gone up and down on NPS. Because you know, from a researcher's point of view, it, it's a bit nonsense, to be honest. But then kind of, I thought, well, do you know what, pragmatically, it seems to work. It's getting attention of senior people within businesses. Fine, that's a tool we can use to get attention and, and then, you know, do some more meaningful work off the back of it. And I think I'm slightly swinging back to being anti-NPS now. And, and the reason being is I think it dis distracts organisations because it sounds like it's about behaviour. So it, when we're measuring NPS... We, f we can pretend that we're measuring customer behavior and linking it to attitudes, but we're not actually measuring customer behavior. Okay, what I'm doing is thinking back to, you know, the early days, of, you know, when I joined TLF back in 1999, 
And then in the early 2000s, we were all talking about the service profit chain and you know linking yeah. employee attitudes to employee behaviors, to customer attitudes, to customer behaviors and profit. And the world felt like it was moving in a direction of actually measuring and establishing the strength of these links and really getting in, in control of the way, the mechanics of how customer experience makes a business successful. And I feel like NPS has distracted us from that because rather than actually doing the hard work of measuring how customer attitudes drive customer behaviors and therefore profit, we're measuring a customer attitude that's dressed up like a behavior, as in, will I recommend, and pretending that's a good enough proxy for profit that we've done all the hard work. So I, I think it's been a bit of a distraction, to be honest. And, and it, I think we've missed out on the best part of two decades of work that we could have been doing. That's probably slightly overstating how I really feel. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, we really want to be talking about benchmarking, not pros and cons of NPS, but the traction in the boardroom is a big plus. You know, because you know, pre-NPS, getting the discussion in the boardroom about how do you satisfy customers, it, you know, well, you know, obviously effort wasn't around there, ease of doing business, index was there. But again, takes a little bit to understand. And okay, now you've explained this measurement mm -hmm. to me. You're now putting me on a league table of people, and you won't tell me who's on that league table because you can't. And you know, it, it's difficult to grab. In a way, I've never understood this argument that NPS is simple. <laughs> it's just not. It's this ridiculous calculation. And to me, exactly what NPS has. has contributed to I mean, cause would be overstating but, but but i think what it makes an easy distraction is i want to see our nps in a league table and not i want to see how our nps links to customer behaviors and profitability so that we can look at what we need to do in order to make us a more successful business and this is the distraction of benchmarking it, you know it becomes about vanity rather than about for our customers today what can we do to to make them more likely to think we're doing a good job yeah. and stay with us? Let's move off NPS now, and 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 I can't believe you, you're talking about vanity. Um, <laughs> Where's that come from? One thing I I, I would like your your, your view on because it's something that I've that's a tool which I feel is very underutilized and it doesn't get mentioned very often. And it was nice to be able to name check it in the webinar was the strength of internal benchmarking, mm. which, yeah, you just don't come across it very often. And it is such a good internal tool that, that takes away all those things about, you know, who you're benchmarking, because you're all actually talking to the same customers and you've got the same products and you're, you've got the same problems with your delivery yeah. or this or that. You know, you are eliminating loads of variables. And this is where I think it gets so powerful that you're actually getting to the hub of, behaviors is usually the difference because everything else is by definition you know by definition the same and again if we sort of self-reflect on ourselves in our client survey you, you know we all have the same tools to deliver research to our clients and you know we all use the same you know we have our telephone unit and our web department and our researchers and everyone else and that is consistent um, which is where I feel that you know that power of internal benchmarking and I think those where we end up doing, uh, if I think some of our clients, where they have multiple outlets, whether it's care homes or hospitals or branches, that's, 
again, that doesn't seem to be as frequent as it used to be where you used to do his, right, do as a set of branch reports or hotel reports mm -hmm. or whatever it is and who's at the top of the league table, who's at the bottom and why are they at the top and why are they at the bottom and how do we move them? Yeah, just like with external benchmarking, that why is the key word, isn't it? It, it doesn't really matter who's at the top, who's at the bottom. Well, it obviously does, but it's it, not it, useful. It, that's not interesting. Or at least, it's, to use your point, it is interesting, but it's not actionable. Uh, you need to know why. You need to know what makes the difference between the people at the top and the people at the bottom. And I do think you have to be a bit careful because I think it's very easy to say, okay, well, the people at the top are doing a good job and the people at the bottom are doing a no, bad job. No, that's not what it's um, now. And it isn't as simple as that. You know, a classic example of that is it's, it's almost like a you could almost assume this is going to happen now. But in, in a lot of contact centres, if you start looking at scores by agent, you'll find that the agents with the lowest scores are the best agents. So then when you feed back the league table and you know the, the call centre manager looks at all the data and you'll see this expression of puzzlement, they go, well, that's weird because Greg's at the bottom of the league table and Greg, Greg's been here for eight years. He's really, really good. Why, why, you know, in fact, he's so good. We, we give him all the most difficult... Oh, right. So you have to think about what are the reasons that these people are scoring low? So are they scoring low because they're doing a bad job or are they scoring low because we give them all the most difficult and complex and time-consuming cases to handle? If you're looking regionally, does it turn out that there are actually some important differences between inner city locations and country location you know if you if you were a delivery company you start looking at driver performance in you know central london versus the outer hebrides those are very different things aren't they uh, and it's, it's a little bit true of customer experience as well i've been doing some stuff with a couple of medical suppliers which is very interesting at this time of the year and um things and uh, looking at it by region and even practical stuff like resources within that region and things like that it made perfect sense and they did completely the right thing as you're saying it's not a judge of the regional performance it's a judge of customer satisfaction within that performance now let's understand why it's different hmm. okay you know yeah you know we're down on yeah. staff there we haven't got the resource we can't offer this service we're still trying to do that whereas in that top one we are doing those things hey perhaps we should get back to doing those things in the bottom one because it's making a difference. We need to make sure we're doing it properly because it is being yeah. noticed. And that is lost at the average and overall level. Yeah, and I think the trap that you can fall into sometimes is being clear, I think. that, And it's quite hard to articulate exactly what I mean here, but I think there are times when it's really good to have a simple blueprint. We sometimes talk about a blueprint for the perfect customer experience. And that is not a bad idea in principle, but it can turn into one size fits we do all. One thing <laughs> for customers. So if you go back to our example, you're thinking about, you know, if, if we do a client satisfaction survey, you know, across client managers, the one way of looking at it is, oh, there's a little mini league table there, if someone's scoring top, someone's scoring bottom. We know in practice it's more often a case of getting the right client manager on the right clients because I guess it's partly personality, but it's also Dial partly, you know, different ways yeah. of working work different clients it isn't a case of one size fits all and yeah i think that's probably widely true that that, that certainly in a B, b2b relationships context like it isn't a case that there is one right way of doing things it's a, it's getting it right for that customer and i think in a, in a b2c world there's maybe more scope for saying at, at least the core of things yeah. there's this kind of we always do x y and z 
but even then uh, I, I, I don't know i think it, 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 there's a bit of a trap that my one of the traps of benchmarking i think is that you you benchmark towards mediocre <laughs> It's, it's like by improving consistency yeah. do you remove yeah. the, the the ceiling as well as the floor so in theory we should be pulling the floor up and let it, leaving the ceiling where it is that's that's what we want to aim for but it's very easy yeah. to, to yeah. crush the ceiling I, 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 as absolutely. well as bringing the floor up one of the things about the webinar to sort of pull 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 this to a, a little bit of closure is um and obviously you you and i present an awful lot of of, of webinars do go and look at them on, on our site and uh, you know and all the recordings are there the benchmarking one is probably the one afterwards where i receive most emails from people it it, it does show there is a passion in the subject <laughs> Which, which I think we've sort of shown it, you know, in you know, in this podcast, the whole debate between interesting and actionability, and a fair proportion of the emails where people just saying, "Yeah, you're dead right," you know, I can't get people to move beyond the comparison into the actionability. Any tips and techniques for doing that? So let me ask you that as as the sort of the final question, <laughs> and certainly the one I get asked the most after it, in terms of organisations where people you know the board or the, the exec are getting stuck mentally on where are we on that league table any tips or advice you could give to the um to the the research practitioner in terms of saying here's how you try and move them on from that it's difficult isn't it and i think ultimately the only way if you've got um an audience or a board who are Frank, consciously or unconsciously, what that reveals, I think, is that they don't want to do anything. Like that, they 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 want to preserve status quo, comfort, not really needing to change. So you need you need something to shock them out of that, don't you? And if the sort of if benchmarking isn't providing your burning bridge, then you need to find something else that does. And the the single best way, I think, um, and this this is particularly true in business to business markets, but but it kind of works B two C as well is find sort of value at risk. So if you can say, look, here is our biggest account and the, the main decision maker, our biggest account is threatening to leave or is transferring business to our competitor. Yeah, yeah. That's got it, to wait Even if it's up, not the it? biggest account, I think sometimes if you can say, look, here's yeah. the, these 20% of customers who are detractors or are scoring low are worth, should we just add up mm. the value of those customers? That seems a big figure. We wouldn't like to lose that exactly. figure. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> thank you for that. My, the answer I tend to use with those and i think it's it's probably again because we're a sort of an external agency and it's, and it's our business and all that sort of stuff in terms of how how we do this i really try and make sure the presentation is this is how you get up customer satisfaction and that's the drive of the presentation this is how you improve your customer satisfaction and as you take them through that presentation you'll explain why it's better they have more satisfied customers financially or whatever it is surplus and i try and benchmarking is just one of those things that is interesting to see where you fit in the world i try and use it as a little bit of a supportive thing just in terms of giving some context mm. but it's buried in there as a contextual thing it's not what the presentation is about i worry when clients say you've got 20 minutes can you start off first slide is the league table because that's saying the mm -hmm. most important bit of information is where we sit no the most important bit of information i think is how do you improve customer satisfaction what should you do i'd rather start off with the, the here's your priorities for improvement 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I've always thought, you know, of all of our sort of, you know, we produce these you know, potentially massive decks of, of charts for when we do a report. Ho hopefully when we actually deliver it, that's condensed a little bit to not too massive. But if I had to have one slide, it would be the doing best what matters most slide. So you've got importance, you've got satisfaction, you've got the gap between the two. And that's kind of 80% yeah. of your way to your priorities for improvement for most clients. So if I've, if you give me you know five minutes on one slide, that's the slide I'm doing. Your overall satisfaction index or yeah. net promoter score, that's yeah. an output. This is what you need to do something about. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much, Greg. It was a really good webinar. And if anyone didn't uh, didn't watch that, it'll be the recordings available on our website. Um, so you can go and find that there. Thank you very much for listening. If you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at tlfresearch.com. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Thank you.